So I'm reading uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, verse 11 to 21. Um, it will come up on the screen, but if you'd like to follow along in the Blue Bibles, um, it's on page 1160. So 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to command ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than that which is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for you all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, If you wanted to follow on, it's on page six of our booklets. Uh, Just a simple, basic outline there for you. Now, what we're doing over these three weeks to kind of kick off our year as a church uh, is to think about three things about who we are. Uh, Using 2 Corinthians 5 as kind of a launch pad um, and and, uh, it's, it's a chapter that's been very significant for us as we started church. Our main idea that we constantly bring up, Christ's love compels us, is in this verse. And last week we saw the beginning of chapter 5 highlighted that Christians have security in a totally different way to the world in where they're heading and the promises God made. Today we're seeing what gives that security. How is it that we can have a relationship with God as we think about being reconciled by Christ? We're secure in Christ, we're reconciled by Christ today. And so we're going to think about what reconciliation is for a few moments uh, as we're here together today. And I've got to be honest, I'll ask the question as I've been thinking about this this week, do we really care about reconciliation as a society? Like right now, I don't really care about being reconciled to Jack, he's just drenched me and I'm feeling really wet and I'm not in the... Yeah, no, you're not sorry, so don't pretend you are. Like, thank you. Um... We, we, we have different levels of reconciliation. We want to be reconciled, or do we? We might have mortal enemies. Uh, sometimes my, my, one of my kids comes back and says, well, I've got, I've got a mortal enemy. My nephew has uh, frenemies, and he doesn't want reconciliation with them. He's quite happy in that state of not being reconciled with them. We constantly talk about being reconciled um, uh, with different community groups, but do we really want it? And how do we get reconciliation? What is reconciliation? How do we think it through? Today, 
wherever you're at with God, if you're willing to follow with me for a moment, I want us all to see how God wants us to have reconciliation with Him. And actually, that's the thing that is the framework for all reconciliation. And so I hope uh, you may be able to see that with me in the passage that we look at today. Because at the heart of what we've just done is we've celebrated repentance and forgiveness of sins in baptism. That is God reconciling us to Him. So let's look at that for a few moments. On the outline now, I said, the need for reconciliation implies... A problem. So the whole idea of, of, of implying the, the reconciliation, it's to say that there's a relationship that's broken down. Whatever type of relationship there is, if the, if the relationship's in harmony, there's nothing to reconcile. To reconcile is to bring together. We need to bring things together. Reconciliation, if it's real, if it's true, implies that there's actually a problem. And in this passage uh, that we've had before us today, is we see that the problem that we have, that Jesus reconciles us to, is our turning from Him. In verse uh, 19, we see that just after He said that God reconciles us uh, through Christ, which we'll get to in a moment, the reconciling comes from our problem of our sin. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself. How does he reconcile the world to himself? By not counting people's sins against them. That is to say, God's reconciling us because of our rebellion of him, our turning away from him. And that can have all sorts of different flavors. As humans, we have come up with all sorts of different ways to manifest that sin or rebellion. To ignore him to claim self-sufficiency and not need of him, to hate and despise him, to like the notion of him and to believe in a God but not want to follow his way. All sorts of manifestations of how we can actually say we actually don't want to follow God. And the passage that Paul the Apostle is writing to the Corinthians, in which he's trying to assure them and inspire them, the main point of this passage is actually to tell them to go out and share this message. He wants them to see that that's because there's a rebellion which God has reconciled. It's a rebellion which causes division and hatred. A simple way of saying it is there's no peace. Those of you who have siblings... Can any of you say it has been all peace? <laughs> there was a little murmuring along there as you wanted to say more. Like, there's never been, no siblings have ever always had peace. Right? It just doesn't happen because there's times when you're at each other's throats. Whatever it be. Big things where one of you has significantly let the others down to just, you're not cleaning our joint bedroom and I'm doing all the cleaning of it. You know, there's all sorts of reasons why we don't want to reconcile with our siblings over certain things. This is not trivial like that in one sense. This is the same idea, but with God, with significant consequences. Because He's made us. Our community had cultures divided, races, countries... 
And this problem continues and continues on. Century after century. So it's not surprising when when Jesus came and after he came and he says there's now peace and I'm creating a people, that the context in which they were living is they needed to resolve their cultural problem. To not count people's sins against them meant that there needed to be a coming together of a people. Uh, In Ephesians, which we're going to study later in the year, we're going to do a big chunk on Ephesians later in the year. In chapter 2, if you've got a Bible there, you can flick a few pages to Ephesians chapter 2. Um, might be, it might be helpful for you, for you to see this. But in Ephesians chapter 2, Jack actually talked about how the grace in Ephesians 2, God saves us, it's all Him. But what does He, what does He bring together? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14, For Jesus Himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside his flesh, the the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile them both to God. God, saying the problem is, even how we see our worlds divided, when Jesus came and Christianity starts, there was two groups that could not have been more divided than all the divisions we have now, the Gentiles and the Jews, and they don't belong together. And Jesus comes saying, I'm bringing you to be reconciled to me, and so two groups which cannot possibly come together, in me they can. And the Jews and Gentiles come together in Christ. All reconciliation coming to God first and flowing out from there. And this pro- problem is, is quite big. Uh, Paul wants this idea to seep through in all his uh, letters, in many ways. Nearly all of his letters, in some ways, highlight this problem of lack of peace or the need for reconciliation or division. Uh, he even highlights the fact that the human state, without Jesus, is that we hate him, that we're an enemy of him. That's how big the problem is that we need reconciling. In Romans 5 verse 10, he says, while we were enemies of God, Jesus died for us. The need for reconciliation implies there's a problem. But the first point for us is that, do I think that problem is real? Because I think one of the the big reasons why many people don't care about going to church anymore or care about relating to God or Christian things is because that problem has been watered down that it's not that big a deal or it's not there anymore. And if that's the case, yeah, maybe we don't need to worry. But if the problem's real and we see the symptom all around us in our division, we need reconciliation. So if the jury is out for you, you're still not sure if it really is that problem. See if you can still come with me and see what God does about it. Because the first thing to see is it's a problem we cannot solve. We cannot solve this problem. We are the cause and we cannot stop, in other words. See, if I was to break up the room, I won't do it, but it'd be, it'd be fun to do. If I broke up into the room, into the problem solvers, and those of you who are really annoyed about the problem solvers who have to fix everything and you get frustrated because they won't let other people do things, oh, we'd have this beautiful division. Some of us love 
fixing problems. Others of us just want to let things kind of work out. We, all of us, are not problem solvers for this problem. None of us can fix it because we're the problem. Uh, we've been uh, reading reading that started this week and it was super encouraging uh, to get people's feedback saying they're having a crack at it last Sunday, reading the whole Bible in a year. The program's still on the back table there. You can just kick off and start this week where we're up to and get on board with it. The app's fantastic. Started using it this week and it just works so well. It's been really, really great. And you start at the beginning of the Bible, right? We've been reading that this week. All of you have been doing it and we see the problem. That God made the world and it's fantastic. We're made in his image with great capacity to create and to solve problems and to to look after the world and rule it under him. And yet we become the problem. We reject God. And that path, in reading the whole Bible as a whole story, we see that play out in all different ways. And we see that this problem that we've just got a snippet here in 2 Corinthians is the story of humanity that we cannot solve it because we're the problem. Our rejection of God makes it impossible. See, it's really, really hard. I had a, uh, uh, a pastor once tell me when I was at Bible college, we were talking about if there's someone that you're really struggling with, and, and for whatever reason, that if you're really, really angry with them, try and be really, really angry with them and pray for them at the same time. You can't kind of do it because praying changes your whole mindset because you're coming before God and you're, and you can't do it because they don't go together. Anger and praying for someone doesn't work. It's a really kind of helpful pastoral thing to say, but that's kind of what we have here. You can't be the solution when you're the enemy. Something has to change and we can't change from being the enemy. But we see verse 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The first few words of that verse are really important. Everything that Paul has been talking about, about reconciliation, where does it come from, originate from? Where is it? From God. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. How fantastic is that? If the problem is real and we're wondering whether we're good enough to fix the problem... God comes in and says, well, no, you're not, but I am. It's a a sensational little phrase because if we accept the problem, we've got a guaranteed solution. Uh, Before Christmas, I mentioned uh, a TV show I was watching on Netflix, The Good Place, I was a bit concerned. Everyone afterwards told me how much they were watching that. I don't know if they heard anything else other than the illustration of The Good Place and the, the talk from uh, what some of you said to me, which was uh, quite funny. But if any of you have seen that show, it's fascinating because it's about these characters that have died and they've ended up in The Good Place, but they're kind of super bad people and they shouldn't be there and they're trying to get away with it because whether you end up in The Good Place or Bad Place is determined by how good you are, and there's a scoring system. It's a fascinating show. And as the show's gone on, I love there's this character. Right? This character, he's a philosopher. He spent his whole life trying to determine how much good do you have to do and what philosophies will work the best to get you the most amount of good. And without giving it all away, they get kind of this second chance to fix it up. And so they try and do all this good. 
and he becomes crippled with trying to figure out, is that enough? But if I do that, that will be bad and that'll be enough. And can I do this? Will that be enough to get me to the good place? And he's constantly trying to weigh up, have I been good enough? It's a fascinating dialogue. It's really interesting. God is saying, that's the wrong ball game. We're not even on the same page. Because none of you are good enough. You all would go to the bad place. I'm making it right. I'm going to deal with it. It's all me, not you. It's an extraordinary picture. God does it all. And so if there's a problem that reconciliation implies, and we see that problem you and I can't fix and that God can fix it, how does he actually fix it? Here's the beauty for us to remember. We are reconciled by Christ, by Jesus. And I don't want us to go away today just going, yeah, yeah, reconciled, Jesus dies. I want us to consider for a moment the gravity of that. Because in verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, is Jesus dealing with our sin on himself. See, Jesus reconciles us to him. See how beautiful that is? Christ... um, We're enemies of his and he goes, well, I'm not going to make you an enemy of mine anymore because I'm going to deal with the problem. We talked about the problem being no peace. He brings peace. It's a reversal to our approach of constantly being an enemy. And it's not, it's not just something that happens to you and then you can just sit in your happy state of being reconciled. Where we end up next week is that you've been reconciled so that you participate in it, in sharing it. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The world is to be reconciled to him in Christ in verse 19. See that there is that you and I are not individuals. And it's good for us to sometimes remember that in our Western world because we forget that, that we're part of a bigger thing. I can do whatever I want, you do whatever you want, and if we happen to work out well together, we can hang out, but as soon as that doesn't work, we'll break up again. Well, God doesn't think that way. He actually thinks that he's creating a people to himself from the world, verse 19. And that's why we need to consider what God has done and how it shapes us and how we influence others. You see, Jesus reconciling us to himself happens because of where he goes and the implications of that. See, Paul wants to tell them what it means to share this ministry and so he explains it to them in verse 20. He says, we implore you on Christ's behalf. That is, the message that you're to tell people, that you're to implore to people is, be reconciled to God. Why? Because God made him, Jesus, in verse 21, who had no sin. The Lord of all, the creator of all things, becomes flesh human, no sin, and what's he do? He becomes sin for us. That is, he takes on board what is due us. The picture of taking our place, the dealing with right wrath. God steps into our place. 
as Paul says in Colossians, it's peace through his blood. Isn't that astounding? That his blood brings us peace. It's a beautiful picture of what God has done for us. So there we have it. We have a problem needing to be reconciled to God, but a problem we cannot fix. But then we have God coming along and saying, you know what? I will reconcile it. Because you've done wrong to me and I'm willing to take the punishment for you. That is life-changing. That is why we declare repentance is what all of us need to turn back to God. Because Jesus has dealt with our sin. So how do we understand this? Well, I want to suggest four quick things to finish off as a way of conclusion. I wonder whether we need to continue to consider our need before God. How do you think about God? Someone you can relate to? uh, Someone who is so distant because your life isn't the way you wanted it to be and God's to blame? Or is it, I'm a follower of Jesus and so everything should work out right and that now everything should be on a perfect path? Or is it just simply, I'm not worried about that problem, I'll just be a good person. I think today we see that God wants us to confront our need before him. Not for a sense of guilt that we spiral into self-loathing or not because we're, we're negative people who just want to talk about the bad but because he has a solution to our problem. So I want to encourage you not to just consider your need, but to consider what he has done. Maybe you've never thought of this before. Maybe you today are being refreshed and renewed in your remembering of it. Jesus stood in your shoes. But not really just standing in your shoes. He gave up his life instead of yours. He became sin for you. So that when God sees you, he sees Jesus. That Christ love compels us. That is the love of Christ's love that he'd be willing to do something while we despise him. Consider what God has done. That's why I think reading the whole Bible in a year is so good because you just wrap yourself up in constantly remembering, ah, here's another little piece into what God has done in sending Jesus, what he has done for us. And so, if we do consider that, as the, imp- the uh, instruction there at the end of the passage is, we implore you on Christ's behalf, is that I want to encourage you all to be re- reconciled to God. Whether it's today for the first time, or whether you're continuing 
to follow Jesus, we know that we need to remember He is the one who saves us, not our own deeds. Today can be that day where you realize Jesus has actually stood in my place. It could be the day where down the track you remember when Jack and Grace and Nathaniel got baptized and so that was the day where I realized I should get baptized because I trust in Jesus now. And for all of us, we embrace that he has reconciled us. And lastly, if God has reconciled us and we have been implored to be reconciled to God, the way he deals with us is the basis for how we reconcile our human relationships. As I've said throughout uh, these few moments, God's plan is for us to be reconciled as a people, not reconciled like in the school playground. Like in the school playground, you might have someone that you've fallen out with, so you'll be friends to them, but they're not friends with that person, and so you've kind of got these friendships going like that, but not everyone is all reconciled together. Have you ever experienced that in the workplace? I certainly did in the playground. It was like some people you could talk to, but they wouldn't talk. It's a mess, right? That's not the kind of reconciliation that we have. We're reconciled as a people where all of us are reconciled. And so when we have a problem, we seek to reconcile it in Christ. Another way of saying it, it's not God and me reconciled, God and others reconciled, but me and others don't need to be because we're a people. We seek peace, unity, especially in the church. And this is our local congregation. This is our local church. We seek that here together. We seek reconciliation in all things because Christ has reconciled us to himself. The way we're going to finally remember what God has done to us, uh, uh, done for us today is once a month we have the Lord's Supper together, where we remember Jesus dying for us in a physical, tangible way. Um, If you're a follower of Jesus, whether you come to Grove or not, you're more than welcome to partake with us. If you're not sure where you're at with God, it's completely appropriate and fine for you to pass it along uh, and not not, not take it. Uh, But it's also a great opportunity for you to reflect because we have a problem and Jesus has dealt with it. Let me pray, we'll sing a song of praise to God and then I'll lead us in the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we don't just have a a problem that can't be reconciled, we have a Lord and Saviour who has become sin for us. Help us to embrace what he has done for us. As we come now and sing praises to you, the one who should always be glorified. Amen.